Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. I have a lot to thank my latest guest on Soundtracking who cheered me up no end during lockdown with his glorious, batty, but brilliant new comedy, Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga. David Dobkin is a writer, director who brought us Shanghai Nights, The Wedding Crashers and The Judge, as well as numerous music videos for the likes of Tupac and Maroon 5. This latest endeavour stars Will Ferrell, Rachel McAdam, Pierce Brosnan and Dan Stevens and tells the story of an unlikely Icelandic pop duo who get the chance to represent their country at Eurovision. I absolutely love this film and you can see why on Netflix right now. If you need cheering up, go immediately. Before we get to David, though, a word from our very good friends at Grass & Co. Now, if you're a regular listener to the podcast, you'll have heard me enthuse about them in the past, and they have very kindly given us a special offer for you. Now, Grass & Co. is a premium CBD range of the finest quality, ethically sourced CBD blended with therapeutic botanical ingredients. So I've been using it for well over a year now, but recently I did fall out of the habit of taking drops first thing in the morning and last thing at night. I then placed a new order and started back up immediately. And I've got to say the difference was instantaneous. I slept better. I felt less anxious. I was able to get through the day calmer and more focused. Let's be honest, in the situation we find ourselves in, who doesn't want to feel less stressed? Now, in the past, when I've tried other CBD products, I have struggled with the taste that it's left in my mouth. With Grass & Co and the way they blend the oil with organic botanical ingredients like ginger, turmeric, orange, ashwagandha, chamomile and mint, it makes the taste much more smooth and pretty delicious. Now, there are a number of ranges available with candles, nourishing body oils, pillow sprays to complement the consumable oil. I'm a big fan of the Calm range. 100% natural drops, which are direct, fast acting and taste great. Grass & Co. only use the best of the best organic CBD and botanicals with products that work with your body to deliver uplifting results you can feel instantly. Grass & Co. CBD oils contain no trace of THC and all the CBD products are totally legal to buy, consume and supply in the UK. Genuinely, I don't know how I would have got through lockdown as productively as I have without it. So how do you fancy getting 25% off and free shipping? All you've got to do is use the discount code SOUND at checkout and claim your 25% off the entire Grass & Co. Calm, Ease and Rest CBD ranges. So head to grassandco.com forward slash soundtracking now. And don't forget to use the discount code SOUND at checkout for the 25% off and free shipping. That's grassandco.com forward slash soundtracking. Discover CBD today. Visit grassandco.com for a better day. Grass & Co. Life enhanced by nature. 
and so to David. Now, as well as a beautiful score by Atlee Overson, the story of Fire Saga also features plenty of songs in keeping with the spirit of Eurovision. And it's with one of those that we begin. I give you Volcano Man. Woke up at night I heard floating chords They guided me To the highland fjords Above the clouds On a mountain peak There he sat And he Listen, congratulations on, on Eurovision. I've got to get it its full title. Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga. Oh, it was, do you know what? It was just what I needed. It was just the perfect tonic. So, David, thank you so much. So glad to hear that. I'm hoping that right now, it feels like an odd time to be putting out a movie. So I'm really happy that it could create some levity and some fun and some warmth for a couple hours. Well, obviously, I guess there was a plan to tie in with the kind of Eurovision and stuff. Oh, and- yeah. Yeah, that would have been lovely. We were supposed to be in Rotterdam for the premiere. The night after the final, we were going to uh, have a, a big shindig there um, and bring whoever won from the night before and bring in all of these people that, spoiler alert, are in the movie. Mm-hmm. So that would have been quite a reunion, a Eurovision all-star Event. It could still be done. It can still happen. We could have, yeah. I'm going to buy a ticket. I'm going to come. Um, what? Where did the idea for this come from? Because I don't even know how to describe the film, really, because anything I come up with doesn't really do it justice. Oh, I love that. You know, look, I Will has been a fan of Eurovision for 18 years. Which is mental. <laughs> I know, I love it. But you know, his wife is Swedish. I'm sure you've heard the story. He goes to, uh, he lives in Sweden three months of the year during the summer. And usually he's landing there in late May or middle of May and getting there. And uh, Eurovision was on every year and he fell in love with it. And he pursued the rights on his own. He actually got the rights from the EBU after showing up there like three or four times years in a row. They finally realized he was serious. Um, and they gave him the rights to it. And then he brought them to Netflix and then brought them to me, luckily. And I read this, you know, when I got the script, I did not know what Eurovision was. Where did you start then? I started by saying, no, I don't want to do a movie with a song contest. And then my agent was like, well, Will is sending it to you. He wants you to read it. And so I read it and the script was really fun and really kind of crazy and absurdist. But I still didn't know that it was a real contest. And I said, well, I think this is a really fun script, but we may have to change the title. I don't think it's a good title. (laughs) 
And then my agent was like, uh, it's a real thing. I think you should go on the internet and take a look. So I Googled it and I was shocked. And I sat there for a couple of hours and just watched all of the finalists of the last like five, six years and was pretty blown away. There's nothing like this in America. It's so big. There's no music contest that is put on in front of 20,000 people live in an arena. I mean, it is such a huge thing to pull off. I was shocked and amazed and a little bit concerned how we were going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, which going to Eurovision and Tel Aviv solved all those problems because um, we could shoot the real audience and use all of the live real stuff. And the EBU was so uh, supportive of us coming and doing that. But the thing that was really amazing to me was that this is a, this is a, an event that's bigger than the Super Bowl in America, which is the biggest event in America. It's, you know, almost 30% larger. And how could I have never heard of it? I, I just was amazed. It's, um, I mean, it was a religion really almost growing up in, in you know, I, I grew up in Scotland and the first one I remember was uh, Buck's Fizz when they kind of ripped the skirts off making your mind up. Yeah. You know, my mum was the big, the kind of, you know, the Waterloo, which obviously it features in the film. So I think that's the kind of massively iconic one, I think, as well. I know people, when I got, and I shot in London and Edinburgh, there were so many people that loved it and so many people that hated it. And even the people that hated it still watch it. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's... I was like, why do you watch it? They're like, well, you have to. Yeah. You, have to, you know, you have to drink and watch the finals. At least see the scores come in. Yeah. It's almost like Hogmanay, like bringing in the new year. It's like, get everybody around and we all nil pois. You know, it's all that kind of stuff. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the casting is brilliant. Thank you. Rachel and Will's chemistry, it's just, it's kind of really perfect in terms of the way they play these characters that have this kind of real childlike innocence to life, really, and whatever is kind of thrown at them. Yeah. It's really brilliant and not easy to kind of convey, I think, as well. They both have such sweetness in them as people. Mm. You know, when, obviously, Will was already cast. And when I read it and I read the character, I was like, oh, he'll find such a lovely way to do this you know i i mean everything you know he has a way of being acerbic and also loving lovable at the same time um so i knew will was great and i loved the character i felt it was very different than anything i'd seen him do for quite some time and it mm. required real acting scenes and it required you know him singing which he does well and all kinds of crazy stuff but rachel ended up being like the perfect person because she is also a really nice human being just she's got a sweetness and a warmth inside of her and as you said, a childlike innocence. Like you can believe these two actually bumped around with each other for a couple decades without getting into a real conversation about their relationship. That was that's the key. That's the whole, like, do you believe that? Do you go on that that ride? And somehow you do. And um, they really had a wonderful chemistry. She kind of 
you know, it's been, I didn't realize how long it's been since she's been in a comedy. Yeah. But obviously I met her in a, by, she was in a, in a comedy with me. So, and she did a lot of comedies before and after, but it had been quite some time and it. I realized that when I was on set after the first couple of days, I'm like, wow, you know, no one's really seen you swing like this in a while. And it's going to be really fun. Yeah. And I think that that's the, the brilliant thing about the, the script and the performances is that it, it's not taken, pardon my French, it's not taken the piss out of Eurovision. It's kind of, you know, it means so much to these characters. And so getting that tone right, I can't imagine it's just quite precise. I love that you said that. That was a really, really big part of, of when I took the movie, I had a conversation with Will. I said, God, I feel like when you do something like this, you should be making the movie for the people that love it. Mm. And I was already falling in love with it. So I was like, I don't really want to make fun of it, even though it's campy. I was like, first of all, you can't out Eurovision, Eurovision. You can't get weirder and stranger and crazier and also more emotional. And like the blend of what that tone is, is so strange and so specific. Yeah. Um, I mean, like whether it's Lordy winning with that crazy getup, which we homage, to, you know, um, Salvador, who was just a beautiful song with a piano in his voice that his sister wrote. I mean, it goes from the most big, explosive performances to the most personal, intimate, emotional stuff. And, and I, there's nothing that does that. And, yeah. you know, we spoke about the tone and I said, you know, I never want to be making fun of the event or really fun of the people in the event. I think I just want to set a comedy at the event. It's just you're there and we're trying to do our best of portraying a real version of what it is. And I, I, we spoke about the movie Fargo for some time because Fargo is a movie that even though they're talking with their accents and it's set in the world and some of the characters are very simple, yeah. it, doesn't look, it does not look down on those characters. There's no comedy at the expense of them. In fact, they're almost, you know, Frances McDormand, her simpleness is what makes her solve the case. You know, she has a simple way of seeing life and there's a power to it. So yeah. um, we always talked about that. We wanted the, the performances to be grounded and we really wanted the tone to be, you know, we wanted to make a love letter to the event. So that's kind of what we were aiming for. Ever since we were children, we've had one dream. Winning the Eurovision Song Contest. All right, everyone. I am Lars. This is Secret. We are Fire Saga. Who wants to hear a Eurovision song? All of Iceland thinks we are a joke. That's not true. And my father is ashamed of me. No, he's not. He looked me into the eyes and said, I am ashamed of you. Maybe he was drunk. He said, and you might think that I'm drunk, but I am dead sober. Idiot. Officially, Fire Saga will be representing Iceland at Eurovision this year. I hate them. Absolutely terrible. They're old, disgusting people. But we have no choice. So we're in. When it came to 
the music um, around the film? Because obviously, you know, you need you need songs for yeah. you know for people to perform and sing. But you, you you know, it's a feature film. You need a score as well. But then you also have there's a moment in the in the film as well, which is brilliant, which is this medley with all these participants. Yes. Oh my God, I've watched, I've rewatched that scene about 40 <laughs> times. It's so good. And it goes from like Shar into, into Black Eyed Peas and a bit of Ray of Light in there. And yeah, yeah, it's so good. Celine Dion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, you know, that was, in the script, it was written that there was a song along, which I thought was so funny. Even in the <laughs> yeah. script, it was like, everything was a little chain off and, and weird. And it said, you know, it had something about hopefully, you know, stars of our movie and stars of past would all kind of show up at this thing. So I had to pick some music for that. And I, I went back and kind of zeroed in on songs that I loved that felt Euro to me. Mm -hmm. As in like they could have been hits in Europe and in America. And that's how I got to that. You know, I thought the Cher song, which was a music video I almost directed way back in oh, the day. Oh, wow. I always loved that song. No matter how hard I try, you keep pushing me aside and I can't break through. There's no talking to you. I'm a big fan of and then you know having to go to ABBA because it's ABBA and Celine because it's Celine and then the Black Eyed Peas was a bit of a curveball but I love that song so much and um, it was funny because we were that's right we were clearing I Got a Feeling and we hadn't cleared it yet and they were a little bit like what are you doing and what, what how are you using it and we weren't even done mixing the song yet I mean creating the song and uh, Will Ferrell bumped into Will I Am at a restaurant in London and he said, oh, hey, we want to use I Got a Feeling. And he was like, sure. So literally the next day I was like, well, Will I Am says it's okay. <laughs> I'm like, can you please call very quickly and clear the song? I got a feeling That tonight's gonna be a good night That tonight's gonna be a good night That tonight's gonna be
But, you know, I wanted to create one of those moments that was like in, you know, music, musical movies, but done with like a disco kind of modern groove underneath it into a dance thing that had a big climactic payoff in the end, but it's still telling story during it, by the way, mm -hmm. but a climactic payoff that, you know, along the lines of like what the Wedding Crashers montage was, like something that just really built and gave the audience almost like a musical set piece of sorts. So, yeah. And I, it was really fun to create, but very hard to get all those people to come. Was it? Extremely. I mean, the number of phone calls to managers and artists and trying to explain what it was, was very complicated. It took months and months. And then when they were all finally there, it was three days of the most amazing filmmaking <laughs> experience I've ever had because these people are great performers. I had choreography with the camera and them and every, and all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, everybody, because these are long takes, has to hit all these marks. And then you realize they're all really super talented. Aside from being singers, they've obviously been on that stage before. They know how to work the camera. They, oh my God, it was such a joy. <laughs> it was so much fun. No matter how hard I try, you keep pushing me aside and I can't break through. There's no talking to you. It's so sad that you're leaving. It takes time to believe it. But after all, it's said and done. You're gonna be the lonely one. Was that an easy thing to, to work out? And with composer side of things, working with it's Atley in terms of the... Um... Yeah. You know, I held off on hiring a composer for a very long time on this film. I really was unsure what the score should be. And we had a lot of... We had a very hard time temp scoring it. You know, when you put temporary score, finding the right tone. The tone was always hard on the movie, always chasing it. And... All of a sudden, I got a phone call from Amy Dunning, who's the head of music at Netflix, who, by the way, also put me in touch with my songwriters who wrote all this original music that was amazing. And she said, there's this Icelandic composer that's in town right now. I think you should meet him. And I looked at his work. It was almost all action movies and stuff or dark, dark stuff. And yeah. there was this one score he had done for a Haley Steinfeld movie. And I heard one cue off of it. And I was like, oh, my God, this guy's got the voice. Like, he's done it one time. This is like someone I consider to be a very talented person who has just not been put into that lane before.
came in and I showed him the movie and he was like, after the opening scene of the film, which he was so moved by because of, we took a lot of time to get the accuracy of Iceland in there and to shoot Iceland for real. And even like little things like, he's like, how did you know about the beer and the ham? Because in the beginning, the guy walks in with the beer and the ham and in 1974, that was banned in Iceland, but the fishermen would bring it in illegally for special occasions like this. I said, when I was scouting Iceland, I kept pulling stories out of people and they, someone told me about this. But he said, I have a theme in my head and I'm going to go home and just lay it down. He sent it to me two days later and it was the, the theme that we have in the movie. I was trying so hard to hire and use everybody from the real countries. Mm-hmm. You know, there's 15 cast members, I think, from Iceland. Melissa that plays Mita is from Greece for real. I didn't want people representing their countries and not from their countries. Obviously, Will and Rachel, Pierce and Dan are an exception. But almost everybody else really does represent the countries that they come from. And um, it was really one of those amazing things. I mean, I had Sigurós. In the score, I opened with a traditional Icelandic song. Like, I had it everywhere. And so he knew what I was going for. And it was such a joy for me to have the composer, which was the hardest part of the casting of my crew in this movie, come from Iceland and literally hand me the theme two days after seeing the movie. And from there, it was just an absolute joy. And I I can't even separate what he did from the tone of the movie anymore. Like, it's, it's... He was the final piece of gluing that all together.
point did the songwriters come on board then? Because, you know, they're writing... Immediately. Okay. Immediately I brought... When I first got hired, I literally that week was like, okay, it the music has to be great. And I don't want it to be a joke. It's The, the music has humor to it, but it's not jokey in the you know like um dick in a box sense you know it's not it's not not skit music it's real music and so i said i you know let's have a real budget for this and and i would need to talk to the best songwriters that are like really who are the best songwriters in the world and literally one of the list of the five people that we had demo was this guy savin koteka who works with max martin at this swedish svengali hit factory, you know, yeah. I mean, it was unbelievable. And he's like, oh, it's so funny. He goes, my wife is from Sweden. I spent the summers there and I do everything I can not to listen to the Eurovision music because I'm afraid I'm going to be influenced by it. He goes, so it's my dream to write this music. And I literally went in the next meeting with uh, Andrew Steele, the writer, into their studio and he played us Double Trouble. And we have never changed a note of that song. It was so good. And the next day I brought it to Will and I said, you got to hear this. Like this is, it's funny, but it's, the music's great. The hook is undeniable. And um, I think this is what we should be doing with the music. I saw you and then all of my eyes turned on and you turned round and I suddenly found Sometimes I pinch myself Cause I don't know Am I dreaming now? I wanna stop the clocks And hold you close But I don't know how Hey baby, when you look at me I know I'm in trouble tonight Hey baby, when you talk to me So they wrote, they had to nail two of the songs before the Tel Aviv photography, because when we went to Tel Aviv, we took those songs, we rewrote the melodies so that in Israel, if anyone was filming it, they wouldn't have it, but the songs are the same. And we had the lighting done at Tel Aviv. And for 15 minutes before both semifinals, we got on stage, ran our music, told the audience they were going to be in a Eurovision movie. And they are in, that's in the movie. And it's unbelievable that we have the songs done in time to shoot at Tel Aviv and actually match our lighting and make the magic of a simple kind of poor man's process of putting together the, the concert worked. Wow. That's, that's amazing. But so the music would let everything, you know, everything starts with the music because it's a music movie. Did he sort of, you know, I imagine you obviously read the script, but in terms of, you know, the characters and, and thinking about Will, for example, you know, in terms of, of, of him playing that part and Rachel. And was that a kind of discussion in terms of, I guess, how the songs were written or, 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 or the... We did not write the songs with them. You know what, they wrote knowing Will was there mm-hmm. and they knew Secret had to be a presence and a powerful presence. Yeah. 
And, you know, they wrote these duets and they were really, really, always really amazing. And um, Husavik, one of the last songs in the movie, was a very, that song took a long time to nail. This great big world before me But it's all for someone else I've tried and tried again To let you know just where my heart is To tell the truth and not pretend All I needed was to get away All of a sudden we realized it was going to, it was starting to carry a bigger need in the movie. It was going to uh, deliver the ending. It, it, it had to wrap up and be about something that was their story. It was very, very tricky. That one took uh, a few months of back and forths to really get right. But a lot of the music was magic. I mean, Lion of Love, I had mentioned to Savin, I said, I see an opening where like there's like this operatic thing, which was, and by the way, I didn't mean for him to use an opera singer. I just meant a riff, like a, hey, like almost like the opening of, of a Queen song. Yeah. And then he sends me this thing and he gets an opera singer <laughs> and it's so weird and perfect. I was like, oh my God. Okay, let's do that. Are, can we put an opera singer? I'm like, but it's your vision. You can do anything. Exactly. The Lion of love. 
it was just really, it was such a fun process and such a great experience. And by the way, Will and Rachel, you know, Rachel had never sang, had never played guitar, and had never played piano. And she, from the minute she took this on, because she's like a total oh, wow. pro, you know, she wants everything. She, you know, she learned to sing. She learned to play piano. She learned to play guitar. She does most of, all of her own instrumental playing. And she sings a large part of the movie as well, because she, you know, Molly came in and we blend, and by the way, we actually re-recorded Rachel at the end of the movie, going back in the studio, because she got so much better. She kept getting better and better as, as we went. Yeah. And it was funny, because like the day that we shot her writing the song, she had never sang out loud for me. And she kept saying, you know, I, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can do this. And I was like, well, if you can't, then we'll get Molly to, to sing over your parts. And after the first take, she sang so beautifully. I came in and I'm like, you're such a liar. I, like, every time you always do that to me. You're like, I don't know. This doesn't make sense to me. And then she nails it. Wow. So it was really, it was a lovely experience to just see her yeah. take on so much and be able to show up and actually sing whole parts in the movie. Just quickly on a couple of other people in the film. I mean, Pierce Brosnan incredible in this i mean he's so amazing if we could have loved him anymore i mean he's like a fine wine as well he's you know in terms of like the silver fox is beautiful it's lovely <laughs> he's just someone that every time you see him you realize you want to see more of him yeah you know and and he was uh you know he's the emotional core of the movie and i we wanted a real actor and there were you know his role and dan's role there were every agency all these names of people coming in and I remember saying to Pierce was really uh, Will, something that came off of Will's head. Because he was like, who would be the most humiliating person? If your father was the most amazing, gorgeous man in the world and he thought you were the biggest loser, <laughs> who would that be? I was like, I don't know who is that. He goes, Pierce Brosnan. I'm like, okay, perfect. <laughs> it was so funny. And Pierce played it beautifully because he's funny and he never, but he never leaves the true emotional center of the movie either. He made it real. You know, we talked a lot about Billy Elliot and, and the arc in that movie, which has a movie I love and about a father that doesn't understand his son. That's a really great comparison. That's amazing. Yeah. And then yeah. Dan Stevens. Oh my God. He was my other one I wanted to mention. <gasps> I, I can't even say... <laughs> I don't know if there's ever been an actor that I cast that overperformed in a movie this much. I mean, overperformed as in like overperformed beyond my expectations. I had a, we had a lot of big name people that wanted to come in and play with Will. Yeah. And I sat down with Will in Tel Aviv when we were shooting uh, in Tel Aviv at the finals. And I was like, what about Dan Stevens? He's like, is that the dude that dies in the crash, in the car crash? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> He's like, he's great. I'm like, he's also in this TV show, Legion, which is as a TV show that was, I'm sure, genius, but didn't make a lot of sense to me. But somehow Dan was so centered in a weird... I just said, I think this guy is amazing. And I think the love triangle will work, will work great. He just is an, an actor that seems like he's just still starting out and I was really curious about. So I, it was a bit of a courting process with him. He loves Will. He was unsure. Um, we had a breakfast. We had a lot of emails. We had some phone calls. And I was like, man, how do I get this guy in? And it was very funny because Tabitha Duomo, who choreographed the movie and is very in America, she's a huge choreographer. Mm -hmm. She sent me this, this video of the first rehearsal to Lion of Love with her people in LA. She's like, this is my first idea of the choreography, which is what you see in the movie. 
and I flip it to Dan and I go, with, I, I don't think I wrote anything into it. I think I just sent it to him. <laughs> I think I just said, here's the choreography. And I was like, if this guy has any questions about it, I don't think this is going to be the right movie for him. Yeah. And he sends me this text back. He goes, I'm on my way to the gym right now. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. That's brilliant. And you know, the next, th next thing he said to me was like, is it okay if I never wear a shirt in the film? And I'm like, what? He's like, I'll have jackets, but I never want to wear a shirt. I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's great. I love those weird things that people see into the kind of, you know, the creation of their characters. Those yeah, little things. It's that like, was his yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Helps them kind of, yeah, yeah, get there. And he was just so great. And, you know, he's a, he just is a monster. And, and audiences have flipped out over him in this yeah, movie. Yeah, really funny. He's one of the highest rated. I mean, you don't normally have people rate as score through the roof the way he did. Yeah, so yeah. great. It's been lovely just um, knowing I was chatting to you today and, and kind of reconnecting with a lot of your other work, you know, be it The Judge and Wedding Crashers and The Change Up and just kind of really taking a moment to look at the at the connection with music throughout those films and how different... Oh, I love that. The, the, the requirements of music, you know, with Thomas Newman with The Judge, beautiful score on, on that film. He was, he's, he is such a, a talent. I don't think the emotion of the movie ever would have been, uh, you know, look, it, it, there's a reason he's been nominated 13 times for an Oscar. Like there's nothing like his music. He, and by the way, the experience of watching him put it together was unbelievable, but it was interesting. Very early on, Robert Downey and I had a conversation. I was like, who do you think scores this movie? I mean, it's this, it's a real emotional there's a lot of the emotion is tucked back in a lot of the movie until we get to halfway through the film. Yeah. And it was amazing. He goes, Thomas Newman. And I was like, oh, well, I've always wanted to work with the guy. I don't know if we can get him. He's like, you'll get him. I'll write him a letter or something. <laughs> I was like. I'm Robert Downey Jr. I'm Iron Man. I can do yeah, it. Yeah, like, I can make that. I can help you make that happen. <laughs>
Yeah, music is key. And music videos have become a part of my life, actually, since the judge. You know, when the judge opened, and it didn't open as big as we would have hoped, I was in Rome with Robert, um, and we were having a premiere in Italy. And it was funny because Adam Levine, who was a friend of mine, texted me and said, I need you to do this video, please. And for 10 years, he'd been asking me to do videos. And I was sad. So I was like, okay, I don't even care what it is. Just send me the song and we'll do it. Mm -hmm. And we made this music video together, which is where I kind of started out. And, you know, it's had over 3 billion views now. It's a song called Sugar. It's a, wet, a video of them crashing weddings. just lovely uh, such a lovely experience and it reminded me how music is so important to me and, and camera movement and I think going back in and doing the four videos with him I've done over the last seven years yeah really made this movie make sense to me in a new way you know in fact there's a, a video for Maroon 5 called Girls Like You that I did with them that is the basis of what the song along kind of was built on yeah in concept it's been 24 hours I need more hours with you you spent the weekend getting even Ooh. we spent the late nights making things right between us but now it's all good babe roll out backward babe artists that you've worked with on the music video side of things as well you know an incredible I mean, collection it's of always such a pleasure i mean it's amazing to i mean the thing that's always scary about music videos is you love these songs and you love these arts and you're like there's only one shot for you to ever put visuals to it and it seems so it seems like you have to do justice to the song you have to really uh find a way to take what they were expressing and make it amplified and magnified for the the viewer to experience, which is movies too. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think it's nice because it's your interpretation of what you get from their their music as well, yeah. which is. But what a decision! I mean, you know, you know, the the when someone tells you they pick your idea or they pick your treatment, and you're like, oh my god, I got to really deliver this. <laughs> what if I screw up their song? Like, I, yeah. it's happened to me. It's not like you know, I've did, done commercials for twenty years for Ridley Scott's company, and you know. If you mess up a car commercial, they're still selling cars. <laughs> you screw up somebody's song. I mean, they still probably are going to do okay, but you could really like affect the their the outcome of their music. So. People like Tupac and 
you know, and, and that was unbelievable. I, I'm very, very lucky uh, that I got that experience. Um, and he was a, he was he was ballsy that he picked me to make that those two videos with him. Mm. I was a kid that had basically almost done nothing, um, <laughs> and he he liked what I wrote. And I met him in person, and he dug. He's a very smart guy, Tupac. He's incredibly intelligent. He almost was a Jekyll Hyde character. Not as if one side was good or bad, but there were two very different personalities: his street personality and his actor intelligence. Kind of, you know, a son of a Black Panther. And he was just so, so bright. One of the mm. smartest people I've ever worked with. Oh, uh, yeah. I get around. Still clown with the underground when we come around. Stronger than ever. Back to get wrecked. To those who break their neck to keep their hopes in check as though they sweat a brother majorly. And I don't know why your girl keeps paging me. She tell me that she needs me, cries when she leaves me. And every time she sees me, she squeeze me. Lady, take it easy. Hate to sound sleazy, but tease me. I don't want it if it's that easy. Hey, yo, plus it. Baby, got a problem saying bye-bye. Just another hazard of a fly guy. Your ass why don't matter. My pockets got fatter. Now everybody's looking for the ladder. Uh, but he saw me, some long-haired, ponytailed kid, and he gave me a shot. You know, I was 23 years old, and wow. that was an unbelievable experience. And videos carried me through so much of my career at different moments, you know, really important moments. Well, I think you kind of see that in your films and the way that you appreciate kind of the, the what music can do and the power of music, you know, in Everything. terms of, I was yeah. a big Scorsese fan. As a kid, I was, you know, I love those movies. And I, and I think that the way Marty used music was very influential for me. And later, you know, more other people as you get into Tarantino and things like that. But mm. those initial, you know, the opening of Mean Streets is is like you get hit by it and you're like, Watching De Niro blow up a mailbox while they're singing Be My Baby is like, a, it's, it's just, there's something to it. magic of movies yeah you know when they when you get it right whether it's you know chicago or dream girls or you know it, it's a it's an unbelievable thing by the way and it's not just that i mean you look back on some of the biggest movies ever whether it's you know dirty dancing or flash dance yeah or any of those i music. loved flash dance 
chance or fame, the Alan Parker yeah. movie was so, that was a big influence on me. Um, as well as, you know, all, all that jazz and other things like that. But the yeah. music is, is such a, it's a special place. And I had such a thrill watching Bradley, you know, for me to watch Joaquin do Walk the Line. Yeah. When he took that movie, he couldn't sing and couldn't play guitar. Well, because you worked with him like way back, didn't you? Like My first movie was with Joaquin was the lead. And then seeing Bradley do A Star is Born. You know, and I, he's, when he texted me one of his early screen tests, he goes, does this look like I'm playing guitar? Does this sound good? And I'm like, how long have you been playing? Like, he was playing for six months, and I've been playing for 20 years, and he plays better than me. I was so frustrated. I'm like, why can actors do this? <laughs> Maybe it's time to let the old ways die. Maybe it's time to let the old ways die. Takes a lot to change, man. Hell, it takes a lot to try. Maybe it's time to let the old ways down. Listen, I could chat to you for hours, and I hope we get a chance to do this again at some point if you're across here in the UK or, or whatever. Sure, yeah, your questions are lovely. Thank you so much. And thank you for your film, because as I said, it's just what I needed right now. And, and you've done a brilliant and, and beautiful job. And it's a pleasure to chat to you. Thank you so much. Thank David. you. Bless you. When I feel your gentle touch and things are going our way. Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga, that's Yaya Ding Dong, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with the wonderful David Dobkin. Oh, I loved spending time with him. My huge thanks to David for taking the time to talk to us. Eurovision is available on Netflix now and it really, 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 really does brighten up these gloomy days. We'll put a Spotify playlist for this show up, which you can access via edithbowman.com. My website is also the place you can catch up with all of our previous episodes, including my chat about music with Martin Scorsese's editor, Thelma Schoonmaker. 
Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And also have a look at our YouTube channel too, where you'll find a little weekly show that I'm putting together with guests from the world of film, music and television. Over the last few weeks, we've had the likes of Rob Delaney, Emilia Warner, the fantastic composer, Orlando Weeks and ex Maccabee, uh, Himesh Patel, to name but a few. So head over to YouTube and search for Soundtracking with Edith Bowman. Next up, a composer who's worked with the likes of Kenneth Branagh, Ama Asante, Mike Newell, Brian De Palma, Alfonso Cuaron, to name but a few. He is an absolute treat to chat to. Join me next week as I chat to the legendary composer Patrick Doyle. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. In the meantime, stay safe. Stay safe.